You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always pleasing to you, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm glad to get to speak to you again. It's been about seven months or six months or so. And uh, I'm glad I'm in a position where I can roll up my sleeves far above the elbow because I'm sweating here. It's a little bit hot. You can pray for these guys who are suffering in their long sleeves and pray that they don't faint nor grow weary. I'm preaching from uh, the book of Galatians, and uh, Sean has started a a series in Galatians as we have a a number of uh, readings that go uh, pretty much one passage from each chapter, although we've had two from chapter one already. And uh, the theme for uh, this series is set free in Christ. That comes from uh, very close to the beginning of the book. Uh, where Paul says that Christ has set us free from this present evil age. And that's a really good summary of what Paul wants to say to the Galatians. Let me just encourage you, since we have a series going in Galatians, to make Galatians your private reading as you're studying Scripture. Uh, If you don't study Scripture, this is a great time to start. Galatians is a great place to start. But it'll help you get much more from these short messages that we're able to preach on Sunday morning because you'll know where we are, you'll know what we're talking about. Let me just begin by giving you a thought that's going to lead us through this passage. And that is that we all have uh, an identity that we default to. If we were just to close our eyes and imagine ourselves, we imagine ourselves in certain ways. We imagine ourselves in certain roles with certain characteristics. Um, this, This is different for every person. You may imagine yourself primarily uh, with regard to your job or with regard to your family or with regard to your looks or with regard to any number of things, your friends, how your friends perceive you. These identities are shaped by not only our own interests, the things that guide us, but also the way we think that other people expect us to act, the way we were brought up, the churches we've been a part of, the groups we have uh, functioned in. And this is a real challenge for Christianity. Because one of the the simplest ways to explain conversion is that we give up this identity that we have of ourselves, of our own making and of the making of those around us, and adopt a different identity. The identity that we have in Christ. That it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives us. It lives in us. Let me read that passage for you one more time. This is Galatians 2. 15 to 21. Uh, this is Paul speaking to the Apostle Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not sent Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, 
then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. <clears throat> you can always depend on Sean to ask you to preach on a week where the, the passage is one of the most discussed passages in the whole New Testament. <laughs> so don't be surprised if it doesn't make any sense to you right now. Or if you think it makes sense, it may not make the sense that it's supposed to. Is it okay if I, if I explain something from the Bible first before I get to practical stuff? I want to do both. But I want to make sure that we uh, make clear which is which. Because the practical stuff is me thinking about things on my own. And uh, the, the first part here is going to be me trying to explain stuff that's there in history and in the Word of God. You need to understand a few things. First of all, you need to understand something about Judaism and why Paul's saying all this stuff about the works of the law. Paul and Peter were Jews. I don't know if you realize that or not. Um, they were Jews, and Paul was a serious Jew. He was the, the kind of Jew that kept the law to the T, crossed all his T's, dotted all his I's, and that was his main identifying feature. In Philippians 3, he talks about all the features of his life in Judaism, how he was from the tribe of Benjamin, right? He, which is, he can trace his lineage back to one of the original 12 tribes of Israel. He's a Pharisee. He keeps the law so closely that that is his, that takes, his, that's his, takes pride of place in his life. When he thinks about his identity, he is a law keeper. Now, I don't necessarily think that he's trying to earn salvation by keeping the law, but he is a Jew and he keeps the law. And he would be an unfaithful Jew if he didn't keep the law in his mind. And Peter, although was not a Pharisee, was a very serious Jew, a pious Jew before Jesus called him as a disciple. And he continued to be a pious Jew after Jesus called him as a disciple. Neither of these people stopped being Jewish. That's why Paul has to actually say these things. If you understood how many times this issue comes up in the New Testament, uh, your view of the New Testament may actually be completely changed. How often Paul has to talk about this shift in the history of salvation from this previous era where the people of God were the, the Jews and they belonged in a certain land that God had given them and were just to live a certain way. And now all of a sudden, Jesus has come and what happens? That identity and the identity of the people of God has been relativized to a certain extent. Some background here. Peter was in Antioch and Paul tells about all this in the first part of the chapter. And Peter and Paul were both there and... Uh, Peter was having a great old time, enjoying freedom in Christ. He was eating with Gentiles, which was a big no-no. Not supposed to eat with Gentiles. They're unclean. They're impure. And if you remember from Acts, Peter says, when, when God brings down all those unclean animals on the sheet, and Peter says, I'm not going to eat that stuff. It's unclean. And God says, don't call unclean that which I've called clean. So you can see that Peter takes this pretty seriously. Never eaten unclean stuff. He's not going about to eat with these dogs, these Gentiles. But now... With freedom in Christ, with unity in Christ, with the Gentile brothers, he's eating with them. He's celebrating the Eucharist, the meal of Christ with them. But then people from Jerusalem come and say, P 
Peter, what are you doing? Are you not a Jew? How can you eat with these unclean people? Sure, they're brothers in Christ, but I mean, come on. Standards are standards, right? The law is the law. And so Peter removes himself. And Paul has to rebuke him. He says, I rebuked him to his face, which as you know is not a very comfortable position to be in. And he wants to tell him that the law was much more important than it is now. The law used to be the major identifying factor for Jews. But now those who have been unified with Christ have put away the law as a thing in their past, as an identifying, main identifying factor. And the, the key here is that every single thing in life must be uh, redirected, must be replanned, must be reorganized around the central fact of unification with Christ through his death and resurrection. Now, you may not have things that are closely ingrained in your life as uh, the law was for Jews. And frankly speaking, usually they're going to be things that are individually chosen. Or maybe they just belong to your family. Or maybe just your class or something like that. Not something that's, that's just all-encompassing for Jews. Because Jews have been persecuted for centuries because of keeping the law. The Greeks came in and tried to make them stop circumcising their babies. They made them stop uh, offering sacrifices the way they wanted to, the, the way they should. They made them start sacrificing pigs on the altar. I mean, to say you have to now give up the strictures of the law to eat with Gentile dogs just because they're brothers in Christ. This is a big deal. Some features of your identity may be as big a deal, but they're going to have to be relativized and reorganized around that central fact that you have put faith in Christ and he relativizes everything else. So when Christ comes on the scene, he blows this whole thing apart, right? Looking back at the Old Testament and the law and the prophets, you can see how it leads to Christ. But I think you could probably only see that after the fact. It's It's unfortunate. Because there was, it was such an amazing revelation. Paul, who knew the scriptures inside and out, had to be blinded on the road to Damascus and had to ask, who is this voice that's speaking to me from heaven? Remember the question he asked? Who are you, Lord? He, he had already committed himself to serving the Lord. His whole life was serving the Lord. And now he has to actually figure out who that is. And the voice says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And his life is shattered. It becomes something completely else. Still serving the Lord, but now who is the Lord? The Lord is Jesus. It came as a complete surprise. So Jesus pretty much blows everything apart. And now Paul and Peter and everyone else has to start putting the pieces back together again. This is what we have to do with our own identities. Now look how this happens. Okay, the fact that Jesus came doesn't blow everything apart. It's the fact that they recognize the truth of who Jesus was. It says in, in uh, verse 16, we have come, even though we're Jews, we've come to believe that Jesus, in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ. Now that phrase probably should be translated. Now here we're getting into one of those controversies that I thank Sean for letting me preach on. But I think that phrase should probably be translated the faithfulness of Christ. We have been justified not by keeping the law, but by the faithful actions of Christ himself, going all the way to the cross, rising from the dead for our justification. And then Paul says, and we actually, we appropriate that faith of Christ and justification in his actions 
by believing. So he says, so that we might be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by works of the law. And that's why they, had, they believed in Christ. Now, we typically think of faith as something that we do at the beginning. You know, I, I came to faith in Christ. I believed in Jesus as if it's just some sort of fact that we've now accepted. But faith for Paul is something entirely different. And you have to think of it in terms of a whole life commitment. It is certainly belief and assent to some facts, but then it is actually living in accordance with those facts. And it's not as if then we have to rely on everything that we can do by ourselves, because Paul says, once you come to faith, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And then, remember in Galatians, he goes on to talk about uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And all these things that the Spirit will bring about. So don't get stressed out. We're not saying that now we have something like a new law, that we have to live now faithfully to Christ out of our own power. No. God has set it up so that we may do his will by his power through his spirit. And Paul says this is now the central fact of our life. And, if, and he says to Peter, if you go back and you start to keep the law again, and if I did the same thing, he says, then I would be building up something that I destroyed, which is the law, which in Ephesians is a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. It divides the body of Christ so that there actually is no unity in the body of Christ. And this is a transgression of the will of God. And so Paul comes to the, the climax of this passage, I think, when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. The old Paul is dead, and it is no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, this life that we're all talking about, that we're just going through day by day, it's not me living. It's Christ living in me. And I live it by the faith of the Son of God, the very acts of Christ and his faithfulness to his Father, going all the way to death for our sins and resurrection for our life, is now dwelling in us. Now, if you can retain your previous identities with that, good luck. I just don't see how it can be done. The trick is figuring out what to do now. And we're still figuring it out. Just like Paul and Peter were. And if justification came by law through that previous way of life, then Christ died for nothing. He leaves no other option. We must say we are now made right with God through the faithfulness of Christ and our faith relationship with him. Now, you're not Jews. I mean, at least most of you aren't. Some of you may have Jewish lineage. I don't. I'm a Gentile. I never kept the law in my life. Sounds pretty onerous to me. Um, but I am a person with a past that's been shaped by my family, my work, my thoughts, my actions, and then also innate things that God has put in me and my personality. All of those things have to be reshaped around Christ. Not that they get obliterated. They might not get obliterated. They might be taken up and reshaped into something perfectly valuable for the cause of Christ. This is the trick. I mean, it's not putting away your past in the sense that it's gone. It's putting away your past in the sense that it becomes a part of the future in your work for Christ. Some things are gone. Sin is gone. You're not to live in sin anymore. Those things aren't to shape you anymore. You're not going to be slaves to those things anymore. 
But just think for a moment how, how you identify yourself. You might identify yourself with your work, right? And you have to think, though, if, let's just say you're the best at what you do. Chances are you're not, right? Because we're all pretty normal people. But in Austin, you may have a few people that are the best at what they do. That could be gone tomorrow. The fastest sprinter in the world could get crippled tomorrow. And then what would he have if that's his main identity? You know, I, I teach for a living. And if I had some sort of stroke tomorrow, which could happen to anyone, and my brain activity, my, my mental ability was gone, and my main identity is that I get to stand up and talk about things that I know about and other people don't know about, then I'm nothing anymore. But if I am a person in whom the life of Christ lives through the power of his resurrection, who's been bought by him and put into this relationship through faith with him, then I'm still everything I was before. I have lost nothing. How can we think like that? It's absolutely impossible on our own. You may put that same value on your kids or your family. You're a parent and you're going to raise your kids perfect. You'd be the first, but it's still your goal, right? Of course, I'm not talking about my own experience. I'm just, I know some people think like that. Your family could be taken away from you the very next day. Things happen like this. How are we going to actually live when everything that we think we are has been taken away? Now, of course, most days this doesn't happen, and so we get used to it. Yes, I am a father, and my, I am a husband, and I am an engineer, and I am a musician, and I am... And we just sort of adopt those every day. We wake up, and that's who we are, and we live in it. We have to find a way to draw our eyes to Christ as the main goal, the, main, the center of our identity around everything else that gets stuffed into that middle can be organized into its appropriate place. We need to be set free from who we have been into who Christ is in us. And it could take up being an engineer and being a father and a husband, and it often does. But those can't be the only thing. Now, some of these things about us cause social divisions in the church like it did with Peter, right? Now, you know a lot of churches where race is a huge issue, right? I'm white. I'm black, I'm Latino, I'm Asian. It's all something that's really important, and so I'm only going to congregate with people like me. It's the history of the church, at least in the modern era. Those divisions cannot exist. Christ has abolished those things just like he abolished the law as a dividing wall. Music, I mean, how many churches do we know where people just aren't going to go there because of the kind of music? or where you're kindly invited to leave because you don't like that kind of music and you've made it known. I mean, give me a break. Compare that to the value of Christ. Politics. Oh, man. You know, what, what, what do we have? Six, five months? Four months? <sighs> Politics. You know, some churches, and I, you know, this one's, pro I don't have no idea what your political views are, and I'm so happy about it. But it may be this way, where if politics came up, we would have such a division in this church because we actually think that politics are at the center. They're with Jesus. Like, Jesus and politics are there. That's the thing. But it's not. 
I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say something like this, but something could destroy America and Jesus is still going to be there. And, and we'd better be together. Surrounded, uh, surrounding the table, eating together, celebrating, being set free in Christ for new life. We cannot have these distinctions that divide us. Now, race and politics and music, it's still there. But it's peripheral. They're still valuable things. But they're not the middle. Denominationalism. Boy, that's another one. I mean, you pretty much had two different denominations there in Antioch, right? You had the Jews and the Gentiles, and they were eating separately. And so, although they both belonged to Jesus, they weren't together. There was no unity. Denominations are not necessarily a bad thing, but they're not in the middle. They're traditions that we have. And they can be good and they can be useful. But they're not the end all. I, I, what I often see, and I had friends who converted to Catholicism in college, what I often see, would see is nominal Christians who adopt a tradition in which they find so much uh, richness, so much life, that they take that as the life that's inside them. And outside of that, they know nothing else. But the tradition is only a means of drawing closer to this life in Christ. So if denominations are going to divide us, now obviously this is a church of a certain denomination, but if anyone is welcome to come be unified with us, we are free to be unified with anyone else around the table of Christ. There are no divisions. But you know, what happened if we stopped doing things the way we did, the way we do them now? I mean, what if, what if one week you came in here and things were completely different. How many of you would just be horrified and stomp out? I hope none, because we're unified around Christ. His life, death, resurrection. We come to his table as that means of unification. Denominations aren't bad. I like denominations. I like rich traditions, but they're not revelation. Christ moves into our lives and destroys everything and relativizes everything. Traditions of men don't. They shouldn't. I want you to see one final thing. Now we're, 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 we're closing it up here. I want you to see the final most important thing. Why does Paul care about this? Why does Paul make us such a big deal about the law? Because he knows that we have come to a point in history where everything that was before has now been revisioned, repurposed, reorganized around Christ. And it is only in that way that the mission of God to unify the world to himself can go forward. It cannot go forward if he goes back to his old identity. God didn't unify the world to himself through the law. And he won't. Paul's main goal is that the world around him would see Unification with Christ and unification with God through grace, through the faithful acts of Christ, through belief and a faith relationship with Christ in the church. And if he sees two, two tables, if he sees two groups, no one's unified to Christ. Who wants to be part of another thing like that? The mission cannot go forward if we do not give up our identities and refocus them on Christ.
man, this is hard. And I tell you, most days I don't even think about this stuff, right? This is one of the benefits of preaching. You actually get, you have to, you're forced to think about things that are important because I have to come here and tell you about it. But this is hard. How are we going to do this? We're going to do this through prayer. We're going to do this. I don't mean just prayer together. I mean, I mean uh, separately. I mean prayer together. We're going to do this through study of scripture. We're going to do this through talking. Devoting ourselves to the table of Christ, focusing on the unity found there among us with new life in Christ as the main thing. This is the struggle of Christian life. And the goal of it all is that others may see the kingdom of God in our midst where there is no distinction. There are no divisions. There is one new humanity unified in Christ. Man, that's hard. Well, you know this church doesn't have it all figured out, <laughs> just like none of us do. But we're in it together, so let's devote ourselves to it together. Let's start by praying together, start by taking communion together, by talking to each other about Christ and about the mission he set us on. Let's spend a few moments just mulling these things over before we move forward with the rest of our worship. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.